day. I'm so glad you're with us. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 10. We'll be there in just a moment, uh, Luke chapter 10. I do want uh, to ask you a question this morning. What do you think is the point of life? If you were to sum it up in a word or two, what do you think is the point of life? To give you a minute to think about it, I'll just introduce you where we're at. Uh, we're in a series called Masterclass. We're discovering some of the, and exploring some of the greatest teachings of Jesus Christ, right? He is the ultimate master teacher. He knows more about life, more about love, more about eternity, more about heaven, more about earth, more about how the soul works. He knows more about everything than I do. And so the important thing today is not what Brian says. The important thing today is what Jesus would teach us. And so as we make our way through this series, Masterclass, we'll talk about what Jesus says about uh, salvation, certainly, about spiritual growth, about love, about managing life, about how we treat each other, about the biggest decisions of life, about forgiveness and gratitude, and all kinds of other things along the way. So the point of life, one word or two. Some would say, well, frankly, there is no point in life. That's absurd. And some of the greatest philosophers of history have 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 just vomited a billion words onto paper to tell us that. Others would say, no, there is a point in life. The point is you. It's the only life you've got. This is all there is. It's all you ever will have. So the point is you. Be who you want to be. Live how you want to live. Get as much as you can in this world. Live for as much pleasure as you can in this world. There are those who would say, no, 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 no. It's not about you. It's about everybody else. And so life could be summed up in words like do good or care well or for some care for the earth. Others would say, no, I, I don't think that's quite it. It's about serving. And so find your purpose would be the point of life. Still others would say, these people have it all wrong. Learn as much as you can. Grow as much as you can. That is the point of life. Now, in case you think this is just sort of empty words or something that, that you know, fifth graders would come up with or five-year-olds would come up with, some of the greatest thinkers in all of history have come to these conclusions. Platonists, Aristotelists, cynics, hedonists, you name it. Those of us who embrace Christ as our Savior would probably say sometimes something similar to a couple of these things, but we'd, we'd add something, something about love, or grace, something about following God, or discovering God's will, or just simply following Jesus. I think, as I often think about answering a question like that, my mind, when I put it in one word, usually comes back to love. Right? And so we talk all the time here at Harvest about loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and loving one another, loving people as we already love ourselves, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
We talk about loving the world the way Jesus loves the world. All right, we talk a lot about this need for love, largely because Jesus talked about that, right? Jesus taught about that. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what are the most important commandments? And he was asked in a sort of test sort of situation, like they were trying to trip him up, see if they could create a theological argument, get him to um, embarrass himself in some way. He reached back to say, hey, it's, it's not that hard. It's you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And that, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. The second is like it, right? These two cannot really be separated. That's Leviticus 19, 18. He said these are the summary, really, of all of the law, of all that God requires. So we find ourselves in this parable called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is how that story is set up. On one occasion, an expert in the law, this is Luke chapter 10, Verse 25, an expert in the law. So read religious lawyer. Um, let me just check. I just got to know. Anybody a lawyer in the room today? Right? Sometimes I talk about tax collectors. I get in trouble if they, you know, right? And so, uh, so I just want to know if we have any lawyers in the room. I can't ask that online because I can't see your hands. But if you're a lawyer, we love you. Jesus loves you. No joke. But lawyers have a certain reputation, don't they? Right? The, the, the ability to take a word and twist it. The ability to create a moment that leaves a person without a real answer. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus' teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus replied, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus turns it right back. Again, Jesus is the master teacher. If you want to up law, the, if you want to be a lawyer, you got to know who you're, who's on the other side, right? What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, well, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now again, these were the same words Jesus had given when asked. We don't know if the lawyer had been there. We don't know if the lawyer knew that answer. We know that this question was highly debated among the religious leaders, philosophers, and lawyers of their day. And so this man comes to the same conclusion that Jesus does. Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Just pause there a second. What kind of pride does it take to look into that and say, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. It takes lawyer kind of pride. And yet this man had some feeling that he was not quite doing this. Because let's be honest, to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength is, is a complete 
sort of way of loving God. To love your neighbor as you love yourself is a sacrificial way of living. That most of us, if we're honest, not in lawyer mode, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that, not in self-defense mode, but in look in the mirror in honesty mode, most of us would look in the mirror and say, yeah, this week I fell a lot short. So it says, verse 29, but he, the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. Now that's an interesting word, justify himself. It means, uh, it, it, it is the word justification or, or righteousness, or biblically, same concept. He wanted to declare himself just. He wanted to declare himself fully righteous in full fulfillment of the righteous law. We might say he became defensive of himself. I note for myself, at least, that anytime I'm feeling the need to defend myself, I probably know deep down that, that I'm in the wrong. And so more than not, as human beings, what we do, you and I, is instead of saying, we're wrong, let's raise ourselves to the standard, we lower the standard so we can live up to it. Does it make sense? I mean, you following me? So far, is this, does this describe life as you see it in most humans? Instead of admitting I'm wrong, I get defensive, and I work to raise myself to the standard until I go, oh, I can't live to that standard, so I'm going to lower the standards. So then I can feel good about myself. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked, who is my neighbor exactly? In other words, who are the people that I'm supposed to love this way? I mean, I'm a religious lawyer. I love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I've got that one down. Pretty, pretty boastful, really. Yeah, exactly. Sure you do. This would be like the Ducks saying they played a penalty-free game last night. They did, but I'm not sure it's because they're as dominant as they look. There were a couple of calls I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? Horse collar tackle by, by pulling on the jersey back here. But to declare themselves penalty free in fulfillment of all of the law of the refs? No way. No way. Sorry, I just couldn't help myself, you know. Who is exactly my neighbor? How big is this group of people that I really have to love that way? That's what the man wanted to know. Actually, he didn't want to know how big that group was. I think what he really wanted to know was how small that group is. Because there are some people in your life that you already love, right? Your family, your friends. Right? Well, if I can narrow that enough, 
then I can feel like I live up to that, sort of. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. Now, Jesus is not making this piece up particularly. Let me, let me, let me see if I can rephrase that and, and say it this way. This was a common occurrence, that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a windy road through the hills, through the mountains to a degree, with a sense of danger at every turn. And the people back then knew this. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he practiced a little quiet quitting, if you will. He had something to do. He had somewhere to be. He had religious obligations to fulfill, was his justification at least. So he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, now, now in, in their day, the, the priests represented God, right? They, they were the people who spoke on behalf of God to the people, on behalf of the people to God. And so they, they were the spiritual leaders of the day. And the religious leader would have mostly seen himself as, as one of these type of people, although he was an expert in the law. Then it says a Levite came. And Levites were the tribe of people who were to assist in the worship of God. And so another man who was supposed to be deeply spiritual, when he came to the place and saw the man left half dead, left naked, well, he saw him and passed by on the other side. Notice both of them saw the man. It's not that it's not that they didn't know he was there. It's specifically that they did know he was there. Right? Human nature is, is sort of looky-loo, right? Like, we want to know what's going on on the other side. You see this in the highway all the time, right? The wreck's on this side of the road. You're coming this way. What happens to traffic coming this way? Right? Everybody slows down because what? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we took Nicole to Washington several weeks ago, right? Drop her off for college on the way up. Right, the other side of the road was completely shut down. There was an accident so bad, they, they stopped traffic and landed a helicopter in the middle of the highway. And so we pull up, and the helicopter is there. We're on the other side. We, by the way, did pass by on the other side. But then again, that's sort of what you do on the highway, right? Now, you see how easily I just justified myself? There are people who will take care of that. There are experts who will take care of that. Frankly, if I pull over, I'm going to be a hindrance at this point. There are people more qualified than me. God will call somebody else. Somebody else must be here. They landed a helicopter. Certainly those folks know more than I do. They need to get this person who's injured clearly to the hospital as fast as possible. Very easy to self-justify, isn't it? 
So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now everybody go, <gasps> oh, we got to practice it better than that. All right, I'll give you a win to go this time, all right? We're going to do, <gasps> okay, one, two, three, go. All right, a Samaritan. Yeah. They didn't like Samaritans. The, the Jewish folks from Jerusalem didn't like Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jewish folks. This was underneath this a, a bigotry that was both religiously based and to a degree genetically skin-based, right? In other words, this bigotry had religious bigotry behind it. It had racial bigotry behind it. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, repetition, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to it. He landed his own helicopter. Bless you. Landed his own helicopter. Put him on his own donkey. Brought him to the inn. In other words, he walked and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, right? Like two days wages. And he gave him to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this is the story, what we classically call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Told to a man who was a lawyer who wanted to justify himself and narrow the group of people who was his neighbor. And in a great twist of words, Jesus didn't let the man get away with easily narrowing the scope. Because Jesus' question is very pointed. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Which of you, these three do you think was the neighbor? Now, his question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' question is, who do you think was the neighbor? Who do you think lived the law out in the neighborly way? The answer is obvious. The? <gasps> Jesus just made someone that the lawyer probably hated the hero of the story. And the lawyer's reply is interesting. He can't bring himself to say the Samaritan so he says, the, 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 the one who had mercy on him. And for the second time, Jesus tells him, basically, go and do this. Go and be this. The question is not, who is my neighbor? But what kind of neighbor am I to everyone? The question is not, how small is this group of people I'm supposed to love this way? The question is, how well am I doing at loving people this way? The lawyer was right about the point of life, that it was love. Loving God, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But he was wrong, this lawyer was, dead wrong, and frankly, so am I. He was dead wrong about how bad, how unsatisfactory, how crummy, how unacceptable, how horrendous, how abysmal 
Yes, I found the thesaurus this week. How subpar he truly was at loving everyone else. See, the reality is, and Jesus taught this, that my love for God is revealed by how well I love people. Not just a few people, but all the people. And by bringing religious and ethnic bigotry into the equation, Jesus is pointing out directly that there are some people that this lawyer is not loving. The reality is my love for God and my faith in God are always demonstrated by what I do, by how I live. And the truth is, this is really the one thing I'm, I mean, I've walked slowly through the text. I've tried to paint the picture as good as I can. Well, the one thing I'm trying to get at today is this. I think I'm pretty good at loving God until I examine my lack of love. Don't get tripped up in the words here, but my lack of love for people who are not already the people I love. This lawyer said, hey, there's some people I already love like that. Who's my neighbor? Right? If I can just shrink the requirement to the group of people I already love, then me and God are good. And Jesus points out that he is not loving the way he thinks he's loving. That he's not as good as loving God as he thinks he is because there are people for whom he does not love them as his neighbor. Yeah, who exactly do I have to love for that like that? Let me, let, me, let me just break this down. My love for God is always revealed by how I treat people that I don't think deserve God's love. Let me rephrase that. My love for God is always revealed by my love for people I don't think deserve my love. which puts me in sort of the God seat, if you notice what I did there. It makes me the one who determines who deserves this kind of love. Truth. Every single human being on the planet, every single human being on the planet bears the fingerprint of God on their life. Every single human. Not just people who are already the people I love. Every single human. Let me give you another truth. Just, just it, This applies to me. It probably does to you, but you tell me. I'm not even as good as I think I am at loving the people I already love. I love my wife. I hope that goes without saying. Do I always lay down my life for her? You know, when we're in the moment where there's some friction going on, do I love her as I love myself? 
I would lay down my life for my wife and kids. Would you say that about your, your family? When I have the privilege of, of doing weddings, which I do you know, several times a year, I, I stand before that group of people, and to every groom, pretty much every single time, I say, you would lay down your life for her, right? He always says yes. So that's good. My question for you is, what else will you lay down for her? Will you lay down the, the toys? Will you lay down the stuff? Will you lay down the remote, right? Right now you're talking. I'm not as good as I think I am at even loving the people I already love. Yes, I want to lay down my life for my wife. Yes, I want to lay down my life for my kids. But I'm in the middle of something and they, Dad. But I got stuff to do. How about my actual neighbors? Do you know your actual neighbors? You know, the modern day equivalent of pass by on the other side might be hit the button on the remote that opens the garage door, pull in, hit the button that closes the garage door, and then we don't even know our neighbors. That might be the modern equivalent of pass by on the other side. What about the people at church? How, how good am I at loving you? How how well do you do at loving each other? What about the people I work with? I mean, I work with some truly great people here at Harvest. How do I do it? I don't know about you, but when I look into my own life, I find that the people I already love, I don't always live up to the standard. Now, these are the people I already love. What about the people I don't already love? What about random strangers? What about the person who votes on the other side of the aisle? What about people at work? Not just the, the person you like to hang out with in your lunch or your break at work, but the person who annoys, you know the person at work who, like, the meetings already run two hours and they have five more questions? What about people who think different? What about people who look different? What about people whose age is radically different than me? What about people whose skin color is radically different than mine? What about people whose social status or financial status is different? What about people whose lifestyle isn't one that I agree with? What about mortal enemies? What about people... that 
I've not been able to stand my entire life. Because that would sort of be the history for a few centuries now of the Jewish folks and the Samaritan folks. It goes back centuries, their hatred, their bigotry. And it's not that one side did it, it's that both sides did it. So they were well entrenched. Who exactly does Jesus expect me to love like that? Every single human being. I can't possibly do that. Honestly believe that's just the point of the parable. Now, I am going to turn this and teach us in just a minute about how to love more like Jesus loves. But the point of the parable, I believe, is that I am abysmal at really loving people the way Jesus loves people. And I can self-justify all I want. But the reality is, I don't lay down my life for the benefit of someone else near as much as I should. Maybe another way to ask this is, who are the people in my life that I struggle to love? Because I view them through a lens that isn't the God lens. Who do I demonize? I promise you, all that news stuff, it's demonization all day long. Love our side, hate their side. What this really points me to is that I don't get to self-justify, that I don't get to defend myself in this way, that I can try to be lawyer-like all I want, that I really don't have a defense But when I read the whole of my Bible, I discover there is a good Samaritan, if you will. He was not from Samaria, but he was from nearby, Nazareth, who did love people this way. The lawyer was talking to him, and the reality is, like this man, I fall short, and what I need is the grace of that man the lawyer was arguing with. What I need is the love of that man the lawyer was arguing with. What I need is that love of Jesus to transform my life so that I love more like he loves. That I can self-justify all I want, but the reality is I fall short. And what I need is the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy of the man from Nazareth who died on the cross for my sins, who loved me, more deeply than any other human being will ever love me. The man who had no obligation to do what he did, but in humility laid down his life for me. The God-man, 100% God, 100% human. Jesus himself. And if I'm ever going to love people, 
the way he loves people, I'm going to need his love active and present and working in my life. And so I need a moment where I say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can't do this without you. Not only do I need your forgiveness, I need your mercy, I need your compassion, I need your grace, I need your love. I need your righteousness. I need your lens for how to see people. There's everything about you I don't have, and I need that. And although I didn't verbalize all of that the day I became a Christian, that's the heart behind <laughs> repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That I need is love active and working in my life. So I hope if you don't hear anything else I say today, that you would decide today that I need that, <laughs> that God-man, Jesus, in my life. And that perhaps if you've never begun a relationship with him, that you would begin it today. And I'll give you that opportunity in just a few minutes. But I want to run back through this one more time because a lot of us made a decision like that a while ago. And yet, like the religious lawyer, we probably don't like to think too deeply about how well we're really doing it loving. And yet, in this moment, we'd recognize, yeah, I'm not as good as I think I am at, at loving God or loving people. And maybe I need more of his love at work in my life. And if that's you, I want to walk right back through the story, and I want to give you five signs of Jesus-like love, five signs of mature Jesus-like love. How can I love all the people the way Jesus loves all the people? And at every single point of this is a decision to move away from love or towards love. So let me give you just very quickly five signs of a mature Jesus-like love. I'm going to go through these really quick. Number one, I need to develop a heart that is filled with patience instead of hurry. Patience instead of hurry. You remember, you remember the, I brought up weddings a while ago. You remember the, the, you know, the wedding text? Love is patient. Love is, that is not a wedding text. In its context in Corinthians, it has to do with using your spiritual gifts and serving the Lord. But we've made it a wedding text, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. You know that one. It's not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. This is another one of those when I read it and I look even at my wife and I go, hmm. okay, the standard is higher than I live. Love is not easily angered. Hmm. Love is patient. I need to develop a heart that's filled with patience instead of hurry. I'm sure both of these religious leaders, when they passed by on the other side, self-justified by having somewhere else to go, somewhere else to be, somewhere, something else to do. We're so busy, there's no time for God to interrupt. I need a heart filled with patience instead of hurry. Number two, develop a theology. You're smart, you, you can work with me on this. Develop a theology filled with incarnation rather than avoidance. Theologically speaking, the incarnation is that essence of Jesus becoming human. He is God incarnate to us. Jesus becoming one of us. Jesus meeting us where we are in the flesh. Furthermore, he did more than that. He didn't just come into the flesh. 
but he laid down his life, right? He took on himself the penalty of sin that I deserve. The priest and the Levite had a theology that said, don't get involved. Stay clean. Self-justify. Don't be defiled by that person. I wonder if a lot of us in evangelical circles don't have a, a reasonably strong streak of that running in us. To be love incarnate, God incarnate, is to show up and meet people where they're at. In their brokenness, in their bloodiness, don't get me wrong here, but in their nakedness, in their shame. I need to develop a heart filled with patience instead of hurry, a theology filled with incarnation rather than avoidance. Number three, develop eyes filled with humility rather than pride. Eyes filled with humility rather than pride. The book of Proverbs talks about having haughty eyes, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, I think I spelled that right. And I struggled for a long time to think about what that really meant, haughty. You know, it's not a word we use very much, it's just prideful eyes. Because if you think about it, all of the ways we look and justify each other, and we raise ourselves up above someone, we go, yeah, they're lower than me and I'm better than them. That's haughty eyes. That's eyes filled with pride. And if I'm going to love the way Jesus loves, I need eyes filled with humility, not filled with pride. I need to value seeing people as that fingerprint of God rather than some sense of looking at, at other people and being able to say they're not worth anything. If I do not see another person as a creation of God, as someone whom God loves, as someone who has the fingerprints of God inside of them, then I'm seeing them with pride. Heart filled with patience, theology filled with incarnation, eyes filled with humility. Number four, I need to develop a mind filled with grace rather than judgment. Grace rather than judgment. Grace doesn't start with, but do they deserve it? Have they earned it? Do they deserve to be in the circle of the people I already love? Number five, develop hands filled with compassion and action rather than convenience and apathy. Hands filled with compassion and action rather than convenience and apathy. Love is patient. Love is kind. Do I have a kindness towards the people I encounter every day? Why is it so hard sometimes to actually see our lives changed like this in the direction of love and grace? I think it's because 
often our hearts aren't right, or our minds aren't right, our theology isn't right, or our eyes aren't right, or maybe our hands aren't right. And so sometimes I just need to get my heart right. And I need to check my theology, my beliefs, my faith, and get my faith right. I need to check my eyes and get my eyes right and say, God, give me your eyes for people. And I need to get my mind right so that my mind is filled with God's way of thinking. I need to get my hands right. But I'm going to ask, as we bring this home, just one more question that I think you've got to be asking at this point. You can't possibly expect that in every single circumstance, in every single human being I encounter, that I stop and love them this sacrificially. Because I never get to work. Right? If I go to the grocery store, I pass by no less than probably 50 people. At least one of them, often two or three of them, are holding cardboard signs. How in the world am I supposed to know? Because I literally do have somewhere to be. I'm on my way to work. I'm on my way home from the store. I got kids to feed. All I know to answer with that is that if I get my heart right and my beliefs right and my eyes right and my mind right, I believe God will put your hands right. I don't know whether you're supposed to step into every circumstance. I don't know whether you can step in in every situation I believe the real point of all of this is to remind me about how abysmal I am at really loving people and to point me in the direction of Jesus. I would remind us of one more thing. This is how the good Samaritan Jesus himself really loved. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but we call this the parable of the good Samaritan, and the word good is not in the text. Never once is he described as the good Samaritan except in the heading that is provided, that's culturally influenced, that's been added over the years. There's really only one man who was good, but we, the church, are called his body. So what would happen if we collectively said, from now on, we're all committed that the you know, 100, 150 or so of us that are engaged with Harvest Community Church today, that all 100, 150 of us are going to love people more this way, that we're going to refuse to pass by on the other side. That, that, that what if collectively as the body of Christ, we all leaned in and said, we wish we could help every person in this way, and we can't possibly help every single Eugenian, every single person in Springfield in this way, but we're going to love the ones, the ones we can in this way. Would that be transformative for our cities? What if the whole broader body of Christ leaned in and said, what if we loved more like that all the time? Would we be able to solve all of the problems of the world? But might we solve it for one? For two? I do think we're called his body for a reason. We 
are the heart of Christ. We have the beliefs of Christ. We have the eyes of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Let's be the hands of Christ. It just drives me back to all the more I need that, the man who, who really was the good. The man who was not a Samaritan, but who the religious leaders hated like a Samaritan. I need him in me to show me when and how and who to love the way he loved. Are you convinced of that? I hope so. If you are, then I want to pray for us as we close today. I always end with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation, and the second is a prayer of application. And if you need salvation today, maybe you'd stop right now, and in this moment, even online, you'd pray with me right now and say, Jesus, I don't live up to this standard, and I know it, and I fall short. And yet you came, Jesus, and loved me, and you loved at this standard. So Jesus, I need you. Please forgive my sin. Please love me and make me loving. Change me. Take over my life. Be ever present as my God to not only love me, but make me more loving. Show me who, show me how. I love this world. In Jesus' name. Have you prayed that prayer for the very first time? That's a powerful, powerful prayer. And man, we celebrate that in a lot of big ways. We celebrate with baptism. We celebrate with a lot of other things. And so we would love to celebrate that with you. Would you let us know? You can let me know on the communication card. You can tell somebody sitting next to you. Right? You can fill out our digital communication card online and let me know that way. But I would love, love, love to celebrate this. If you've already prayed that prayer of salvation sometime in the past, and you're with me and going, you know what? I'm, I'm, turns out I, I'm not as good as I think I am at already loving the people I already love. And that I need more of this Jesus in my life. Would you pray that with me and for me? If, if you're with me in that, would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for being my good Savior, not just a good Samaritan. And so give me your heart this week, a heart filled with patience. Give me your beliefs this week. A faith filled with incarnation. Give me your eyes this week. Eyes filled with. Give me your mind this week. A mind filled with. Give me your hands this week. Hands filled with compassion and action.
In fact, do that collectively in all of us so that we as your body would love as you love. So that we as your body would love who you Jesus. Amen. You know, lately I've said a few things about, you know, the news and stirring us up or politics and those kinds of things. And I, I tend to do that intentionally every time a political season rolls back around. And it's not that I have a disdain for politicians, although many of them are lawyers. It's not that I have a disdain for politicians. Jesus loves politicians too. In fact, I would suggest we pray for them. In fact, we are commanded to. But I do believe that ultimately the solutions the world need are the ones we're talking about right here. So let's go be that this week. Let's go love like that this week. Because the world's going to say, the way all the November stuff goes determines everything. And I'm going to say, and they've been saying that for millennium. Yeah. I've heard it my entire life. You've heard it your entire life. What changes the world? The love of the good Savior. So you with me? Yeah, let's go live like it this week, okay? I love you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us online as well. Uh, don't forget about communication cards, offering box, all that in the back. If you're a guest, I would love uh, the chance to meet you. I'll be outside shortly. Thanks for worshiping with us this week. Love you guys.